Welcome to How to Live Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd, a series to help us see who we are made to be so we can do what we are made to do. Hello, this is Dr. Chip Dodd. Welcome to How to Live Podcast Uncut. Today, the topic is feelings. And the focus on feelings today is responding to feelings versus reacting to feelings, and then recognizing, identifying, and even exploring the benefit of responding to feelings, what they can do for us, and what feelings are related to how we can live our our lives. Feelings don't make us small. Feelings actually make us more. They can make us more capable of connection, more capable of expression, more expansive in our abilities to experience life, all the way from the worst things, the depths, the grief, all the way to the expression and connection of celebration on the other end of the continuum. They allow us to identify and experience empathy, which is being able to recognize ourselves in other people. They allow us to persevere through uh, something mattering to us so much that we're willing to be in pain over it and express it. They allow us to have, be, have strength. They increase our compassion. They expose our daring, and they um, actually show our courage. Courage meaning full-hearted participation. You have to have a heart. You have to have a big heart to be able to live the courageous life. So feelings don't make us small. They make us more. But responding to feelings is different than reacting to feelings. And so today I want to uh, talk about the, the, the main feelings. Uh, in some ways, I'm assuming that you either uh, are familiar with the voice of the heart or that you will become familiar with the voice of the heart. But let me give you a, a quick sketch review of what feelings are and then what they uh, are not and what it means to step away from them. Uh, in the voice of the heart, I present that we have been given eight feelings that allow us to live fully in a tragic place. The eight feelings are gladness, sadness, anger, guilt, loneliness, fear, shame, and hurt. And just like we have a certain number of organs in the body, we have a certain number of feelings. And feelings uh, are good, just like organs are good. The healthier you are at in, related to taking care of your lungs or your stomach or your bladder, or the healthier your bladder, stomach, and lungs are, you know, the farther you can swim, the, the more you take care of your body by eating well, and the more you're able to be sensitive to what your needs are uh, in terms of responding to, to the nerve indications in your bladder. It tells you what to do next. So feelings uh, are like organs in the body. They're good. And the more we attend to them and take care of them, the better they increase our capacities. Feelings are also... Um, like the primary colors. Uh, there are three primary colors and the mixes and matches of all of those wind up being, you know, the, the, uh, the hundred and what is it? 128 crayon box. So, but they still, all of those colors from the crayon box start with the three essentials and all those tones and mixes and matches come from that. So the feelings aren't restrictive any more than the three primary colors are restrictive but to truly be an artist, a painter, 
you need to know the mix and matches, the complements and expressions of all those basic colors and what they can do with, uh, for us as we mix and match them and use them, express them. It's amazing how the three primary basic building blocks turn into extraordinary complexity, but they start with that simplicity. The feelings are also like musical notes. Uh, we have just a certain number of musical notes, but rather than uh, blocking us, they allow us to, the combinations to continue to express amazing, unique possibilities. In fact, after all the years that we have been um, putting symphonies together, we still have not come to the end of the possibilities of the symphonies that can be created out of that very specific number of musical notes. So it makes so much sense that there would be eight feelings, like a certain number of organs, primary colors, a certain number of, of, of musical notes, but rarely do people protest the, um, the idea of being restricted by three primary colors. So somehow uh, people really struggle with the possibility that we've been given eight primary feelings. So anyway, I contend that we have eight primary feelings and that those feelings are tools that, that when used well, allow us to live fully in a, in a tragic place, in a difficult place. They allow us to go to the depths of grief and the heights of celebration. They allow us to go to the full extension of expression, and they allow us to be able to sit and ponder in the depths of what it means to be one's self. So the eight feelings, uh, many people look at them as I read them, uh, uh, spoke them a bit ago, gladness, and then people love that one. But then we begin to talk about seven other feelings that people automatically call negative. And what I want to say is none of the feelings are negative. All of them have the capacity to bring us to extraordinary gifts. Gladness, oh, that's great. And then we start sadness, the great slide, sadness, anger, guilt, lonely, fear, shame, and hurt. We consider negatives when actually they're all positives within the context of where we live. And if any of you are familiar with the voice of the heart, you will follow clearly with what I'm about to say. But each feeling through proper response ability takes us to the gifts that we can receive from them. For example, sadness brings us through uh, expression, the caring, a grief process, which brings us to a place called acceptance. Sadness is the caring feeling, for example, that through processing, losing something that matters to us because we had an attachment that's gone, we come to a place of acceptance. And acceptance allows us to know that life is difficult and uh, full of loss. And that attachment puts me in a position to experience loss but I'm created for attachment. Acceptance allows me to recognize and identify that life has risk in it, that I may indeed lose, but it allows us to, to believe in the expression better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. That cliche uh, is actually a deep statement of life experience. So that's one of the gifts uh, of, of sadness. It can bring us to a place called acceptance through relationship with others. Me with my heart, me with the heart of others, and me with the heart of God. Loneliness, for example, is a feeling that tells me I'm in need of relationship, that I am not created to live alone. So loneliness is not a badness. It actually triggers or helps us identify 
our need to respond to how I'm created to reach towards relationship that will actually benefit my life. The gift of loneliness is intimacy, where we get the idea of into me see. For example, I've, uh, in the past uh, four or five podcasts, I've talked about how we're created, made for relationship, and then without living fully in relationship, we wind up being isolated, alone. And isolation is just the opposite of everything we're created to be like. We're not made for aloneness or isolation. And enough of research has been done that we've gone way past the ancient great scriptures and the ancient stories that speak to our need for relationship. Neuroscience is confirming daily, even more profoundly than we can easily shirk off uh, that we are created for connection, social connection, and social contentment. We're created to find security in relationship. So anyway, all of these feelings, as you, you pick up the voice of the heart on audiobook or uh, in print, they actually are there to take us to gifts. And it is, uh, they are painful, but even gladness uh, brings with it an experience of pain. For example, uh, the beauty of the birth of a child allows us to experience the exuberance of hopes fulfilled for those people who hungered and wanted the child. But the moment the child is born, we're also facing the, the world they have to live in, the amazing um, uh, uh, potential for promises to be failed, and uh, that, that love uh, require is also a burden that is a responsibility to care for someone and, and knowing at the same time that that caring leads to all sorts of worlds that can take us into places we don't want to go. So even gladness, that joy, that great expression of having a child born or a wedding um, that occurs can also have with it the that well, a child is gone. They've grown and gone, which which allows the parent to identify that they that they're aging. So it, unless we're able to also identify recognize the cost of gladness, we're really going to tend to shirk off the fullness of gladness. So for every feeling that we have, it allows us to live fully in a world that isn't exactly, uh, doesn't continue to be exactly what we wish. So we live in a limited place of finitude, but we carry eternity in our hearts. So with that said, people who uh, do not have the uh, background teaching to know the benefit of feelings, feelings uh, for them tend to be things that they want to react against. People who aren't confident in how they're created wind up believing that they're cursed by the uh, feelings that shame them, that make them weak, that even render them vulnerable. And not knowing that vulnerability is the strength of openness to need that allows us to be stronger together than we will be apart. But because of our past experiences, we often associate vulnerability with being overwhelmed in death or being rejected and thrown away, um, being a risk taker who loses, sort of reaching your hand out to receive something and coming back with your hand cut off. That's what we associate vulnerability with. But people who aren't capable of tolerating, experiencing how they're created, the heart of who they are, those people tend to react to feelings rather than respond to feelings. A response to a feeling is the capability of identifying what the feeling is, number one. Number two is capable of using their thinking 
to be able to explore the experience of the feeling. In other words, using my head to uh, explore the contents of my heart. A person who explores a feeling doesn't say, why am I having it? But where is it coming from? What's familiar about it? When did this start? How did this happen? And so asking questions of the heart. And that exploration allows the feeling to be a deepening experience. The feeling will actually go towards the needs. Uh, I feel hurt. I'm in need of healing. And that need of healing acknowledges the desire for to go from the, the place of having not, not having the pain to a place of healing from the pain, which allows me to long for a world in which pain doesn't happen, but also long for the wisdom of what the experience of that pain can give me. And then allows me to take the risk through that healing of hoping again. So that exploration not only takes me to, to a deeper identification of how to take ownership of the feeling, it also allows me to deepen and enriches the experience of where the feelings can take me. Because feelings lead us to needs. Needs lead me to desire for something. Desire for something leads me to long for a world in which um, is greater and better than, than it was before. And also allows me to long for helping create something that can last as long as possible in a world that where everything breaks, like longing for safety, longing for peace, longing for home, longing for justice. We create as much as possible, knowing full well that no matter how much justice we achieve, there is always an injustice that will still arise. But we still have the courage to risk towards that which will never completely be here on earth. So, uh, so exploration, identification, exploration, and then expression. So being able to respond to feelings allows us to not react to them. Reaction is an action I take based upon the action of another. Response is me taking ownership of the experience I have going on within me as my own. I wasn't made to have it. I have the opportunity to experience it, even though many times I don't want to. I mean, I don't like the feelings. I just like the benefit of what can happen when I use them for what they're made uh, to create in me and for me. So, so going back through it again, responding to a feeling is identification, I feel, exploration, where is this coming from? What's familiar? How did it happen? What was happening before I began to feel it? So it's taking ownership. And then thirdly is expression. Who do I tell? Identify, what am I feeling? Exploration, where is it coming from? Not who made me have it, but where is it coming from in me? What have I, I experienced? And thirdly is expression, is who do I tell? Who do I tell is somebody who also has ownership of their own hearts. In the beginning of the podcast, I said, for example, that feelings don't make us small, they make us more. And there's a great example. Who do I tell is somebody I know has more. They're not small, they're big. They're more capable, they're more able, they're more expressive, they're more empathic, they're more compassionate, they're more daring, they're more accepting, they're more receiving, they're more capable of courage. They are, have full-hearted participation. And as we look more, more deeply into this, we recognize that hurt people who can't take ownership of hurt are hurtful people. Hurt people 
hurt people, people who own their hurt and take responsibility for ownership of their hurt and the expression of it are people who are healers, not harmers. Hurt people hurt people who can't take ownership of their internal experience, they, they blame. So let's look at what reactions to feelings are. We hope that you are benefiting from this podcast. If you are interested in more material from Dr. Dodd, please go to chipdodd.com or Sage Hill Podcasts. Thank you for listening. We now return to the rest of the podcast. We've looked at responsibility, responsibility, responding to feelings, identify, explore, express, which happens through journaling and through conversation, through um, the process of being with people who are capable of doing the same thing. It happens through invitation to find uh, your, 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 your expression of, of who you are, where you are. Uh, so in other words, somebody has made room for you to discover and like we said earlier, have more. So responsibility, identify, explore, express versus reaction. And in the voice of the heart, I talk about reactions as impairments. And a lot of people turn the impairments into opposites. I'm saying that impaired feelings are not the opposite of feelings. They're one step removed from responsibility. So they are reactions. They're not the opposites. They're actions we take to avoid the feelings we have. So, for example, a person who is uh, uh, lonely, who uh, can't take ownership of it, identify, explore, express, allows them to, to join, they end up reacting to the feelings and have the experience of apathy, which is an attempt to, to, to not care, attempt to remove myself from having to be or needing to be in relationship. And apathy is the move away from being connected, to, to actually say, I'm not like other people. Impaired hurt is resentment. It's, I blame you for the experience of my internal world, and I'm going to make you pay for what you've done, which means me giving ownership of my life to another person. So resentment is a reaction to seeing myself as a, a victim. Instead of me taking ownership for the pain and me finding this the healing with others in it, I end up resending the pain back out onto the world and punishing some other person. People who become resentful are people who become vengeful, passive-aggressive, attack-oriented, distancing from others, always sort of unsafe, unsafe to be around. So it's amazing, though, people who don't take responsibility for their hurt hurt people, and people who are hurt by resentful people back away which gives the right for the resentful person to be blaming of others not being <laughs> what they want them to be. So the very thing we do to run from our feelings actually creates the very thing that we don't want to happen. It's so tragic. Sadness, uh, impaired sadness, the reaction uh, against it is self-pity. No matter what I do, it never works out for me. And so I'm trying to get somebody else to do my grieving for me. Self-pity is a form of manipulating somebody to rescue me from having to do my own grief. So that's a reaction. Uh, Self-pity sounds like uh, uh, no matter what I do, it never works out for me. 
Uh, I try like crazy. I continue to risk it, put myself out there, but all I get back is sawdust for, for looking for a drink of water. I may as well just, you know, go get drunk. I may as well just quit. I may as well just give up. I may as well just go away, which is begging and manipulating the other person to feel my sadness for me instead of me having the courage of more, the courage of risk, the courage of hope to feel my own sadness, uh, to do my own grief work, which brings me to my own strength of acceptance, which allows me to know the cost of life and risk living it anyway, because I'm made for the connection. I'm made for love and loving. I'm made to be loved and to give love, which is what, what sadness can take us to if used as a tool. Uh, another feeling impairment is um, uh, anger. Healthy anger is, is an expression of desire for something. Impaired anger, removing, reacting to anger is depressing how much something matters to me or pride, denying that something got to me or affects me. Impaired fear is, is rejection of my own need for help. It, it denies uh, being in danger and it denies the what fear calls us to do. The, the recognition of need or recognition of danger moves me to cry out for help. Impaired fear is anxiety. Anxiety is always watching around in my environment, trying to pick up on any potential cue that could put me in a position of having to ask for help or having to be in need. Anxiety is an attempt to control my external world, puts me in a position rather to control my external world so I never have to be in a position of crying out and experiencing the embarrassment or the possibility that the cry out will render me um, helpless again, which is what anxiety is. It's the experience of having been helpless before and doing whatever I can not to experience that again, which makes, of course, tremendous sense. Fear is a feeling that allows us to cry out, to respond to danger versus react to the possibility of danger through anxiety. Anxiety makes us controlling. When we can't get control, we become rageful. And the tragedy is that many people who are rageful are associated with people who are angry. Angry people desire uh, uh, change and desire life. They admit their hunger, their thirst, their wishing and um, hoping. Rageful people despise hope and despise being human and will 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 kill, so to speak, destroy to keep from having to be vulnerable, to keep from wishing and hoping and hungering. Rageful people are not passionate people. People who do anger well are passionate people. They're willing to be in pain for something that matters more than the pain. I always think of a mother, a true mother, who is gets up at night uh, during the, the, the wee hours of the night will take risks to protect and care for their children. They're willing to be in pain for something that matters more than pain. Goes without sleep to care for the one they brought into the world and blessed to have. So that's that's anger. I know it's confusing to many people, but I really want to separate rage from anger. But anyway, impaired, impaired fear is uh, anxiety. Impaired... Um, Shame, impaired healthy shame. Healthy shame is the experience of being dependent, being in need of knowing that we're, we're all sort of have to drink out of the same cup. We all need water. We all need each other. And that's, for many people, um, a uh, 
uh, a contemptuous experience. They hate it. So toxic shame is the reaction to healthy shame and our, our inborn dependency. Then um, impaired gladness is sensuous or sensual seeking of things that will please my body, my brain, my skin, even my genitals without my heart having to be vulnerable or involved. Um, true uh, gladness is a, a willingness to celebrate the fullness of connection, which requires tremendous vulnerability. Joy, great joy always has in it a twinge of sadness because the greatest, most wonderful day ends on this earth, which means we're back uh, down from the mountain and having to continue to walk on the plains and the valleys. But, but uh, people who are w- w- willing to risk the experience of joy but also people who are willing to walk on the plains and the valleys because they're headed towards the mountaintops. And then finally, um, guilt. Guilt is a feeling we've been given that allows us to identify when we've done something that goes against an internal value system, but an accurate internal value system, not your parents' value system, but God's value system that, um, that acknowledges that we are all created by God to experience Six extraordinary freedoms. The freedom to see what we see, the freedom to feel what we feel, the freedom to uh, uh, need what we need, the freedom to imagine ourselves in a full life, the freedom to talk about the other four things I just named, and then finally, the freedom to give another person the same freedoms that we were given by birth. So our value system comes out of these freedoms being lived um, as we are created in relationship with God and others. So we are guilty when we do something that goes against how God created us. That does not mean that if if I say something to someone spoken in tremendous love, for example, in counseling, I, I will love the people I work with but I will say things that will often, uh, they allow me to go in through the, in the cracks of the defenses, speak something that their heart is hurt about. But I, I do not try to take away their hurt. I do not try to fix it, nor do I see myself as guilty for having caused it. I actually would be guilty if I didn't speak it. Now, I'm not talking about going around hurting people. I'm saying that a person has given me permission to know their hearts and takes the risk of finding their own, allows me to say things to them that they will have pain about. So uh, I would be guilty of not saying it. I would be guilty of sort of uh, placating, patronizing, guilty of approval seeking, achieving, or using this other person. That's guilt. That would go against my value system. So taking responsibility for other people's feelings is not or a person having feelings, then you taking responsibility for them is not guilt. Usually that's locked up in toxic shame. So impaired guilt is toxic shame. Guilt is a feeling that allows us to say we're sorry for things we've done that has, that has caused harm to another person, treating another person differently than we wish to be treated. And every single person wishes to be able to have ownership of their own hurt Most people don't want someone to take their hurt away. They want them to help them walk through the pain 
and gain the benefit of it, as crazy and difficult as that sounds. So guilt is a feeling that allows us to be set free, to seek forgiveness and to walk in the freedom of no longer being burdened by the secret world of of, uh, uh, knowing we've done harm but have nowhere to take it to be relieved from it. So impaired guilt is toxic shame. Toxic shame is contempt towards myself for being human. It makes me despise the need to seek forgiveness. Toxic shame makes me despise the dependency that I carry in healthy shame. In fact, toxic shame ultimately will make me despise all the feelings I have because all the feelings put me in a position of reaching towards others and God to help me live a complete life, to be more, to have more. And so people who are reactive to feelings are the ones who actually end up being small rather than big. And the people who respond to feelings end up being more rather than less. They uh, uh, are, 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 are more joined, more known, more complete, as I listed earlier. And then lastly, I want to talk about what responding to feelings and dealing with feelings means. What feelings do for us in terms of the, the basic tools. Feelings are passwords that, that allow us to move about in our hearts. Uh, that's like on a computer. You can't get into your heart without, uh, can't get into your computer without the passwords. And so the world of your uh, important information doesn't open up to you without the passwords. And so I want you to know that the passwords that open up the heart are the feelings that allow us to enter the heart. And that's gladness, sadness, anger, guilt, lonely, fear, shame, and hurt. Just like the primary colors allow a person to learn the mix and matches to to paint, to express, um, to have the detailed expression. Uh, Feelings are passwords that let us inside ourselves. And through that, we find more. Um, uh, We're in contact with our needs. I wrote a book called Needs of the Heart, which talks about the basic needs the primary of which need to belong and the need to matter. Uh, Feelings move us towards desire, longings, and hope. They allow us to have a bigger picture. In a movie, uh, The National Treasure, Nicolas Cage wound up inside the the treasure house and then looked about and said, there must be even more than this. Found a channel of oil, put a torch on it, and lit up a room that was without end. And I'm suggesting that the passwords let us into our hearts. And I promise that our hearts are much bigger than our heads, our little our brains will ever be because the heart is the storehouse of the imagination. I even contend that the, the heart is um, the wellspring of life, like the proverb says. And I even go even farther to say that the heart is the seat of the Imago Dei, that, that that is where we carry the image bearing of God, that we are created as emotional and relational creatures created to uh, imagine, shape, make, walk in empathy, compassion, and service to others. When the heart is grown, we cannot help but express ourselves and give ourselves to, uh, to others, so uh, to love. So the the feelings are actually passwords that let us into ourselves. What we uh, to, to actually expand the smallness of reacting to feelings and defending ourselves into the expression of ourselves instead of the defense of ourselves. 
So they're, they're passwords. Then uh, feelings are lanterns that show us inside, show us around inside ourselves. They, they point towards the needs. They point towards the long-term memories. In fact, the neuroscience has shown us that the limbic system, which is the seat of feelings uh, in the brain, it, the limbic system is actually not only the seat of feelings, but it's the seat of long-term memories. So that, that the limbic world opens us up where the, the world of feelings are is also where the feelings of where the experience of long-term memories are. That feelings and memories are inextricably tied together. So that when um, the lanterns start showing you around, they start showing you around the, the, the memories of where the feelings are connected, unfinished business, uh, uh, memories of celebration that you've forgotten that the world has taken from you, uh, show you new possibilities, and, uh, new areas of exploration and areas of grief. So the lanterns show you into your needs, your desire, your longings, your hopes, and introduce, reintroduce you to imagination. The capacity to see your life in fullness uh, in spite of what's happening happened historically. So it allows you to hope uh, bigger. And then finally, feelings, as I said, are passwords. They're, um, excuse me, they're passwords, they're lanterns, and they're keys. They open up rooms inside you, uh, some of which have glorious capacity to express joy, and some of which uh, the door creaks open and uh, a sort of a mustiness, smell of, of staleness comes out. We, we need somebody to help us go in that room and, and clean it out, bring light into the room and take out the damage and the scarring and the uh, secrets to bring them into the light of day, to have them cleansed and um, removed from us. But also inside that room, as I said, there, there are some rooms within us that we, we, we leave behind, like I talk about in the Apgar. We leave behind the child, uh, the creation that we were born to be and adapt to a world that makes us small instead of returning to who we're created to be and joining with others to live in a world, to live, to, to create more than the world will even offer us because we do it through relationship. We do it by um, living the image bearing of God. So keys will even open up to a rooms, uh, some rooms that are full of light that you walk in the room and uh, fresh flowers are on tables have been put there every day waiting for your return to how you're created, who you're created to be, who's you're created to be, and what you're created to do instead of um, living uh, what, what uh, the uh, people, your reactions have assigned you to. Uh, flowers or fresh flowers are there. The room is full of light because you look right out into the expanse of the world that you're created to live in in front of you. And let me tell you how this works so powerfully. I knew a guy, just a friend, uh, he and his wife, uh, knew them from church, got to know him some, sort of talked the voice of the heart some, uh, ended up sort of, he was very curious guy, super intelligent. He was working in a factory, had been for 13 years, um, his wife's teaching school. He had relegated himself to an assignment um, that this was his lot in life. Nothing wrong with factory work, but he was he had actually dreamed of doing something else. And uh, I sat down, spent about three hours with he and his wife one evening, 
And we began to do, you know, identify, explore, express, looking at history, looking at wishes. Turns out he was in uh, the the um, Mensa program at one time. It, 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 his IQ, <laughs> it was just sort of like, let's just say way beyond anything I, I uh, would ever, ever have. I mean, he was gifted tremendously. And we talked about what he had once dreamed. And it was service to others, tremendous interest in, in, in the human body, uh, mission-oriented, healing. And uh, we started talking. It's like, you know, I, want to, I can't say his name, but I just said, go, do it. Take a risk. Do some testing. Go find out where you are in terms of what you can reach. Go do some exploring related to becoming a nurse practitioner. He literally resigned from his factory work, was threatened, told, don't ever come back here. You're going to regret it. What were you thinking? He got out of line because instead of staying small and reactive, he decided to take a risk of more and expansion. Anyway, goes to, to a school at Vanderbilt, becomes a nurse practitioner, was invited to go to med school. He turned it down so that he could go straight into um, helping and has had an extraordinary um, life. He stepped into the room that was already full of light. The bouquets were in the vases, been put there every every time after they would die. Hope would be renewed by, by, by God coming into the room, putting the bouquets, and then waiting for this guy's return. So it's not always opening doors to dark rooms. Sometimes it's opening doors to sorrow, sometimes opening door to risk, sometimes opening doors to expansion or hopes or a future. We know that God... Uh, uh, in spite of what the world teaches, has no intentions to harm us, but has great hope and hope for, to offer us a future. So I'm saying that feelings don't make us less. They actually expand us into the more, that they are, they are uh, passwords. They are lanterns. They are keys. Our responses to them can bring us gifts. Our reactions against them will make us small. They will defend us, but not expand us. So through identifying, exploring, and expressing our feelings, um, using them as passwords, lanterns, and keys, we are opened up to something that ultimately won't surprise us. We will become who we were made to be but something for which we'll be grateful for. Even if it's in the latest years of our lives, like I spoke about with uh, this doctor who answered the question, where are you? And then spoke it to his son who was 54 years old. And they reclaimed, rejoined, returned to uh, how they were created and whose they were created to be with each other and what they were made to do. And like I say, that, that man was 74 years old. So, and, and it yet expanded into uh, not achievement, but gratitude. So as I close, uh, thank you for listening. This is a little bit longer than normal, but um, appreciate it. God bless you. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. <laughs>